Well, good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Jen A and I reside here in Colorado. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, February 6, 2024, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Today we're reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We're in the chapter titled Bill's Story. We're on page number one and we're on the second paragraph. We're going to begin with the paragraph that starts with, we landed in England, and read through two paragraphs ending with, whether he diets by musket or by pot, commenting on those two paragraphs only. Today's readers are Team Tuesday, 12 Steps, Tony B, 12 Traditions, Judy O. Readers of the text, Ramona A, closing reader, Crystal R, backup reader, Rena L, newcomer reader, Maria H., and our second hour moderator will be Christine G. The reference numbers for yesterday, Monday, February 8, 2024, the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Big Book Study recording is 21,100. 21, That's 21,100. The next one is 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Big Book Study recording. That's 21,101. That's 21101. All right, well, here's our preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. Oasis tradition states that each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. And at a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Tony B. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, friends. Tony B., compulsive overeater, recovered in Scotland. The 12 steps. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. <clears throat> 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry out. 
and 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me be of service. Thanks, Tony B. from coming over from Scotland. I will now ask Judy O. to read the 12 traditions. Hi, this is Judy from New Jersey, Recovering Compulsive Overeater. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, overeaters anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such would never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name would never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you for letting me be of service. Yeah. Thanks, Judio from New Jersey. Well, this is how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we do ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our absence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There's no absence requirement for sharing on the topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. So to share, you're going to press star one to unmute your phone. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. So today we're going to resume our study in the chapter titled Ghost Stories. We're on the big book. We're in the big book on page one. We're reading the second paragraph, two paragraphs, commenting on both of those. So I'll go ahead and ask Ramona A. to begin reading. Good morning, Ramona. Good morning, Jen. Good morning. This is Ramona A. in Vermont. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm very grateful for that. So we landed in England. I visited Winchester Cathedral. Much moved, I wandered outside. My attention was caught by a doggerel on an old tombstone. 
Here lies a Hampshire grenadier who caught his death drinking cold small beer. A good soldier is ne'er forgot whether he dieth by musket or by pot. So um, that, you know, the, the doggerel is just a, a comic verse, you know, that they had put on this tombstone, but it was a very serious verse for, you know, for Bill to read, even though the next line said he didn't heed it. But when he dieth by musket or by pot, pot at that time was uh, beer, you know, drinking any alcoholic beverage. So the man died by alcoholism. And for me, that message came again and again and again in my life. And, um, you know, and I wasn't able to, to follow it. I think the first time I got a very clear thought that I should not drink, eat sugar in, for the rest of my life. I was about 24, and it just, you know, hit me, and I said, oh, I can't, you know, I can't do that, you know. I, um, and I know now, looking back, that my, my refusal, my resistance to do that was because I was already a compulsive eater. You know, I already had gone to that point where sugar was was my alcoholic food. And it happened that I did that for another 20 years, just trying everything that I could think of to deal with gaining the weight, gaining, losing, gaining, losing, you know, every kind of diet, every kind of um, scheme, you know, that I could think of. And I bargained with life, and sooner or later, I always failed. You know, I just just couldn't. And, of course, I was demoralized, as Bill said later. I, by that time, in about age 43, I did, uh, I did come into OA. And OA, I saw this, this was my home. This is where I needed to be. But at the same time, it took me another 18 years to finally accept that I could live without sugar. And it happened that, um, you know, I, I didn't, I did believe in a higher power, I did believe in God, but I thought that I had to do this on my own. I had, in order to be approved by that God, and of course that was the other way around. I needed to, I needed to trust that God. But what happened after that 18 years is that um, my husband went and I went out for our anniversary. And at that dinner, I said, oh, there was some kind of bread coming on that I said, oh, I'm not going to eat that. Well, it wasn't five minutes later before I was eating it. And then, and, um, and everything else that, you know, whatever they, they served that night. And the next morning, I was able to say, I cannot eat sugar and accept it, finally accept it. So that was... Um, you know, that was my story to finally get to the point that that uh, I could accept that. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Ramona A. from Vermont, for getting us started today. We do value everyone's experience on the line, so we do ask that you limit your share to every third day in order that others might share their experience, too. So, if you'll give me your first name, the first initial of your last name, and the state you're calling from so others can find you on the member list when you share, 
who would like to share on what was read today? Maria S. Janice P. Janice P. Who was the second person? Janet B. I got you, Janice, and I got I got Janice and Janet. There was somebody after Leah. Lindsay, Lindsay C. Thank you. Elizabeth C. Can you say that again, please? Elizabeth C. in Tennessee. I heard Elizabeth, and then there was somebody else. Chris G. Chris. Elizabeth Thank you, Chris. Elizabeth G. Chris G. Somebody from Tennessee, or did I already get you? Nancy R. Nancy R. Thank you. There was somebody in there. All right. Let's stop there. That'll give us a good lineup. Thank you, everyone. This is what I have. Leah F., Lindsay P., Janet B., Janice PM, Elizabeth G., Chris G., and Nancy R. Um, go ahead and give me the state in which you're calling from so folks can find you on the member list. And Leah F., go right ahead. Thank you so much. My name is Leah S. I'm recovered and grateful, extremely grateful, in Brooklyn, New York. Okay, so we are in Bill's story, and Bill is talking about uh, the war and uh, is over and everybody is excited. And my war was really with the food. And I remember I used to be in a place where, you know, there was celebration, there was a birthday party, there was a what to call, everybody was singing and happy and whatever. And I remember walking around thinking, why am I so lonely? Why am I so hurting? And then this disease, there's someone who's unmuted and really it's distracting for me. <laughs> if you don't mind, please do mute yourself. Um, anyway, and, and I was thinking to myself, why am I so um, uh, upset? Because there's someone in the kitchen that is really, <laughs> okay, um, I want to I want to go on my with my thoughts. So this really, you know, I was I didn't know any solution. I really didn't know any solution to my to my problem. But one thing I did know was when I ate that sugar, the feeling of 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 of, of loneliness or unhappiness or whatever it used to go away. So that was the only thing that I knew. Thank God for Bill, and thank God for Dr. Silkworth, and thank God for this big book and all the 12 steps. I I used to think to myself, I'm not going to give my heart to the first person who's going to give me attention, because one day... Leah, I think you got muted now, so I do apologize. Could you press star one again for us? Oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. So anyway, I I just wanted to say that um, I didn't know any better. I really didn't know any better until I finally gave myself completely to this big book and the 12 steps, which has gotten not only rid of my soul hurting but has also 
pulled me out of that depth, pulled me out of that pit, pulled me out of that. There is, there is a way out. And all it is, step by step, one foot in front of the other. And thank you for letting me share. I pass. Thank you so much, Leah S. from New York. My apologies for the line. We're going to go ahead and mute the line real quick before the next person shares to get it all cleared up. And then up next, we're going to have Lindsay P. So, Lindsay, you can press star one and unmute now. Good morning. This is Lindsay P. Can you hear me? You can be heard. Go right ahead. Where oh, you're calling perfect. from this morning, Lindsay. Sure. Lindsay P. from New York. And thank you for your service. Um, I really wanted to share on this because it's just so incredible that, I've, um, you know, coming off of World War One with Bill, there was a, a warning that he saw on this tombstone, and it just really brought me to my core when I heard it this morning and was reminded of this because I had so many warnings before I went into OA that I was going to die. I had so many doctors and family members and a, a surgery and so much that, um, you know, I was really facing my impending doom if I didn't get recovered. And so, you know, this tombstone um, is that same warning to Bill. And just like Bill, I needed to hit rock bottom before I could get recovery. But now that I am in the steps and I am working so vigilantly on my steps, it's just such a reminder that my disease will inflict irreparable damage on my life and on my relationships. And so it's just such an incredible reminder <clears throat> that my recovery requires such vigilance and commitment and a willingness to just confront my disease you know I have a progressive disease whether I'm not whether I'm in recovery or I'm not and it just keeps getting bigger and my guide and my program has to be bigger than this disease or I have this harsh reality of a tombstone that we just read about um, <clears throat> so even though I have felt such a spiritual transformation and I am on this path of healing and recovery, I know that <clears throat> the moment I step away and I go on the wrong path, I am back to where Bill is in England. And I, you know, this tombstone will be glaringly obvious again through warnings that he didn't heed. So I'm taking this warning and I'm heeding. So I just wanted to share that. Thank you. And I'll pass. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay P. from New York, for sharing with us today. Up next, we have Janet B., followed by Janice P.M. Good morning, Janet. Hi, good morning, Jan. This is Janet B., Recovered Compulsive Eater from North Carolina. So, yeah, I see here he had a warning. And to me, I was thinking about it, that that's one of three things that don't work, right? A warning. So if someone had said to me, Janet, if you don't stop binging, you're going to end up, you know, with all kinds of physical problems. You're going to need major surgery on your esophagus. You're going to get, hate yourself so much you won't be able to get out of bed. You're going to gain weight. You're going to be miserable. Would I say, oh, thanks for that information and that prediction. I think I'll go to Overeaters Anonymous, work 12 steps, and get my life together. No, of course not. Warnings and frothy emotional appeals don't work for us. And I think the other thing that never worked for me was desire alone, right? Page 24 of our book says 
that there comes a point in the life of every abnormal drinker where the most powerful desire to stop is of absolutely no avail. And that was me. I wanted to stop more than anything in the world. I didn't have the power to stop. But I had the desire. I had the warning, right? I knew what my future was. It still didn't matter. I had knowledge. I knew what foods I couldn't eat that triggered me. I knew I was a compulsive eater and that, you know, I just couldn't stop when I had one. I couldn't help but eat the rest of the box, bag, carton, whatever. And that didn't work. The warnings didn't work. Desire didn't work. Knowledge didn't work. But when all of that was coupled with a surrender to God, it worked. Because my problem, chapter four tells me, is lack of power. So what I need is a power greater than myself, which will solve my problem. And not to just believe in that power, but to surrender my life to that power, which means saying, God, you've got my food, you've got my marriage, you've got my kids, you've got my job, you've got everything. Take it and do with it and with me whatever you want. And I will try to serve you and other people as best I can. And that, for me, is the only thing that worked and that still continues to work. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks so much, Janice B. from North Carolina. Next, we're going to hear from Janice PM. Good morning to you, Janice. Well, good morning to you, Jen. This is, um, thank you for taking the meeting. This is Janice PM, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from right outside of Boston, Massachusetts. You know, this, this story is here for a good reason. And what's that reason? It's going to tell us right from the start how I can identify with Bill's drinking, how he's feeling, his feelings, and uh, what he turned out to be by the grace of God. And this says, and it mentions, if you see this, um, it tells me anyway, you know, he visited this cathedral, and it says, much moved. Now, what does that mean to me or us? Well, to me, it means he, he something moved him, and I believe it's a higher power already, just from the very beginning of his writings. And, you know... Um, in 1982, when I came into uh, OA, I remembered this lady. She said, now, when you sit down and you listen and do the readings, I want you to find out the similarities in you as a compulsive overeater with bills, alcoholism. Don't compare. And, boy, I'll never forget that. And here it is in the book. Uh, don't compare with him. Just identify, which means see how we're similar. And this is Bill doing a 12-step call. And this is a lesson for me when I do a 12-step. I tell him what I was like when I was in the food, what happened. So, you know, I, did, I, mean, I found my higher power deeply in the, in the steps. And then what, am I, what are the miracles that are with me now? So this is Bill's story on how to make a 12-step call. Very simple, you know, doesn't, and boy, I was the first one when I started going to meetings, compare, oh, she got diabetes, that's why she doesn't eat sugar and flour, no, but, I, you know, I'm only, I'm not 100 pounds overweight yet, 
you know, I compared all the time because I wanted to compare myself out of the way because I didn't want to be a compulsive overeater. So I said, I wasn't like that, and I didn't do that. But, you know, today, everything in this book and Bill's story, I did. How he did it with alcohol, I did the same thing with food. And I identify a lot of his life with my life. I was a very shamed little girl. I remember in the third grade, uh, my my parents were divorced, uh, like Phil's, and um, my name was different. And when the nun called my name, she goes, who is Janice, my last name, Macadoni? Because my mother signed her own name. And I was so embarrassed that my name, you know, in in the 50s, <laughs> were different than my mother's name that signed the report card. So there was a lot of shame. And then, you know, I'd like depression with him. And, of course, thoughts I death. I just, because I thought, oh, I'm going to go. Whether he died by musket, which is a gun, or by pot. And pot is an alcohol in English. And I'm finished, and I pass. Thank you, Jen. Thank you so much, Janice PM from Boston. Up next, we'll be hearing from Elizabeth G. And then uh, after Elizabeth will be Chris. Good morning, Elizabeth. Where are you calling from today? Uh, good morning. Uh, this is Elizabeth D. as in Donald. I'm from the Boston area. Um, can I be Thank heard? Thank you. Yes, you can, and thanks for the clarification. Go right ahead. Sure, no problem. Um, thanks so much for your service. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. Um, and thank you for the shares that I've already heard, which has been so powerful. I am deeply grateful for Bill's story. Um, this in particular uh, hits me this morning. For so many reasons, um, I have a friend, a dear, dear college friend, someone I've known for almost 40 years, who um, is dying uh, because she has liver disease as a result of this disease. And um, I'm going to see this person tonight, and I'm trying to hold back the guilt I feel. Couldn't, could I have done more um, as a person of faith and as a person of, of who follows the 12 steps? Could I have done more? Could I have pushed my way in? And this reminds me that there is no human power that can save me or anyone else who is gripped by this disease. No human power. And so I need to take my out of the position of any sort of power here and just be a comfort. So that's what I am trying to do tonight. The reason why I know there's no human power is because I was never motivated to stop eating compulsively by any kind of warning. I have, I'm a breast cancer and I had an oncologist. My oncologist say to me, keep your weight stable and Stay away from certain foods, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, don't drink. And that is the best way that you can prevent um, metastases. And I said, yes, 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 yes. I will be, you know, this is a turning point for me. I am never going to relapse again. 
in my compulsive overeating, I'm going to keep my weight stable. And of course, all that was for naught. Within a year, I I ate my way up another 60, uh, 65 pounds. So I know from bitter experience that no human power can save me. But I also know that by reading Bill's story and identifying in that I have hope, that I have hope that I don't have to die by the pot, um, that I can live um, a, a, a happy, joyous, and free life and useful to others. I'm praying tonight that I am useful to my friend and that I can be a comfort. That's all I can do. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Elizabeth D., as in Dog Boston. And now we have Chris G., followed by Nancy R. Go ahead, Chris. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, yes. This is Chris G. I live in Tennessee, and I spell my name with a K. Um, now, this is Bill's story, and where do, we, where do we start with our story? This is Bill's story. Where did Bill start? Well, he started when he was a young man, and, and, and so in the first paragraph of Bill's story, it says, I was part of life at last, and in the midst of the excitement, I discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and prejudices of my people concerning drink. And, and then, uh, then he remembers uh, this, this, uh, this, this poem that he memorized uh, when he went. We, he, he, had a, he visited Winchester Cathedral, and he was much moved. And, and then he saw this poem, and he memorized it. And so that's what he uses at the beginning of his story. And, um, and, and, and it says whether he died by musket or by pot. And the, the next sentence is ominous warning, which I failed to heed. So here in the first paragraph, he says that his parents tried to educate him about uh, uh, liquor. And he uh, forgot their warnings and prejudices. And then uh, in the second paragraph, he, he memorized this, this, uh, this strong uh, poem that says a good soldier is never even if he, but, you know, he can die by, the, by being shot with a gun, which is very dramatic, or, or he, can be, he can die by drinking beer. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, I failed to heed that warning. So, so here we start at the beginning of his story. It's, it's condensed. There's a lot in here. There's a lot in here, these two first paragraphs. It's condensed. And, and I like to tell stories. And, and to tell an interesting story, you have to just pull out the most interesting parts, the dramatic parts. And, and so here he's trying to tell us that, that his parents tried and, and this poem tried, but it failed. It failed he failed to heed the warnings. And so we can identify with that, that, that we, there was times in my life that I could have done better or I should have done better or I might have done better. And, but, but um, I didn't, uh, I didn't pay attention. And now looking back, hindsight is twenty twenty, and I can see things that were said that I didn't understand. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thanks so much, Chris G. from Tennessee, Chris with a K. All right, up next, we're going to have Nancy R. Before you begin, Nancy, 
For those of us who just got on the line this morning, let me tell you where we're at. We're resuming our study in the chapter titled Ghost Story. We're in the big book on page number one. We're reading the second paragraph, two paragraphs. Um, we landed in England through whether he dieth by musket or by pot. So we'll take a list of names after Nancy R. shares. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning. It's Nancy R. from uh, Northwest Illinois. I'm a recovered compulsive reader. Uh, so grateful that that is true today. Um, I, um, I've uh, really been touched by a lot of the shares. You know, this um, warnings. This is this is a warning. When I went through, um, the, studied the um, steps in the big book with my recovered sponsor and became well. Um, she pointed out that in in the big book there are promises and there are warnings um, and there are musts, there are things to do. Um, so here are the, here, here's one of the warnings. Um, but I really like what, what someone else said. Uh, which I translate to, I am powerless over the warnings. Um, you know, um, so the uh, I was taught to relate in to this part of the book is to ask myself, what are the warnings I didn't listen to? And to just look at them and not so that I would have like remorse or regret or why didn't I? But just to see, like Bill is seeing, the po- my powerlessness. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many warnings I got. It doesn't matter um, how many ways in which my higher power in the world and my body and my mind told me that um, I was going to die from compulsive day overeating. That I was killing myself that I was a walking dead woman already. You know, what would my dog world be if I hadn't recovered and continued to work this program every day? It's very sad. It would be very sad. Um, So I'm just grateful um, that for today, my dog world will not be about dying from compulsive overeating. And for that, I am truly grateful. Thank you. I pass. Thank you so much, Nancy R. from Illinois. All right. So we're, we do value everyone's experience. We ask that you limit your shared every third day in order that others might share their experience too. If you'll give me your first name and the first initial of your last name, um, we'll take another list. Go right ahead. And then today, from North Carolina. Somebody from North Carolina, I got that. Who was that? Christina. 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 It was Christina from North Carolina. Larry K. All right, let me tell you who I've heard so far. I've heard Christina from North Carolina, Anita J, and Larry K. And there's other people that were in there. I just couldn't hear you all. Could you say your names again? And then I see. Carolina. Thank you, Elena C. and Karen K. I got you this time. <laughs> All right. Anyone else that I missed? 
Reggie, oh. Reggie, thank you. That'll be good. Awesome. All right, so let's take Elena C, Christina, Christina J, Anita J, Karen K, Larry K, and Reggie O. And if I could have everybody mute, if I could get the lines muted, and then we'll have Elena C, press star one, please. Tell us where you're calling from today. If we can have the lines muted, thank you. And Elena C, press star one, please. Elena C, you can't be heard yet. Star one. Can you hear me? I was kicked out of the conference. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you fell back in. Yes, I can. Yes. Tell me where you're calling from uh, so that everybody can Elena find you. Elena C from South Carolina. So, <clears throat> you know, I highlighted this paragraph, and here's why. Um, so in the other paragraph, in the paragraph before, you know, Jill, I mean, Bill starts drinking, and then if you read further, it says, and I feel lonely, and I return to alcohol. And then here he goes at a cathedral and see this tombstone, this bomberman that he remembers, after he remembers it, and it was so powerful to him that after he got sober, he still remembers it. And, you know, I get it. What I believe is that this poem was written from as a signal from his higher power. And he was in no position to, to kind of got, got it. Um, in a way, he got it. Otherwise, he would have been remembering. But he he like whatever you know okay this guy died because of drinking and and that's it and so i in the step 12 steps for me you know i believe that god sends me signals all the time and when i'm into my head or into my will wanting to get my way wanting to be right there is no way that i will be able to see those signals um and you know the signals are simply just things that go hand in hand like i was um trying to schedule um a client and you know he said um let's look at these days and my um calendar was open at the exactly the same day so those are synchronicity signals 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 of connection perhaps but signals that i need to follow you know and in the disease or when i'm in my head in my will there is no way that i will you know that i will listen to that um so what i need to do in a God is where my attention goes the most. So pay attention to the world around. Pay attention to what people are saying. Pay attention to, you know, whatever is written everywhere, whether in words or in just intuition. You know, and that is my experience of God. 
And one other thing that I need to say is that this guy died of drinking cold small beer. Small beer. So now that probably was a lot of small beer he was drinking to be able to die. But it's another understanding of what how many dimensions this um, our disease has is we can, you know, we can drink or we can eat in so many ways and still be compatible with the eaters. And, and you know, it's a deadly disease. I that I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Elena C. from South Carolina. Up next, we have Christina J. from North Carolina. Good morning. Good morning, Jan. How are you? Christina Good. J. from North Carolina. Go right ahead. Good. Um, Boy, this is a hot stove, right? And it's also a breadcrumb on the path. I was not ready. If I put myself in Bill's shoes right now, I got love, applause, and all this stuff from from beginning my uh, musical career, and then I found myself in lonely places. And throughout all that, throughout my whole career, uh, food was there for me. I had many ominous warnings about it. I had many physical warnings, many mental, spiritual warnings, but I didn't have anything else. And so the breadcrumb on the path is this this little paragraph, this little statement that God gives to this guy. And I had lots of little warnings, not only with food, but other activities I was doing in my life. But uh, I wasn't ready. And all the little breadcrumbs had to bring me to falling down to my knees. You know, I followed this path of finding recovery. And this is just like one little paragraph. It's like a little hint. Hey, you know, if you keep doing this, <laughs> you're going to die, even though you might be a good person. He was a good soldier, you know, but he didn't ever find recovery. And um, I never, you know, as time went on, and I would get messages about the hot stoves I was touching, I got scareder and scareder, and it took me into more and more pain. So, you know, I wasn't ready. I'm, I'm 65 now. I hit the rooms at 50. So <laughs> that was just something. God had me going for a long time because there was a lot of stuff to burn out in me. I'm stubborn. I want my own way. I have my own will, you know. And I had to surrender all of that. And, and uh, I even had this book in my hand in my mid-40s. And, went, of course, like many people, I went right to the chapter of how it works, where's the diet, what do I do, right? And then it went up on my shelf. I had no idea. Finally began to stick my feet in the rooms and didn't hear what I thought I needed to hear. It's a journey. And this guy's just starting out. He's only 22 and I think of my long journey to recovery, and I'm so grateful that I get to do this before I die. So if you're in the room, you've followed these breadcrumbs. You've followed some breadcrumbs to get here. And most of my breadcrumbs went inside of me and turned into pain because I ate a lot of bread. <laughs> anyway, funny little side there. Um, but I'm so grateful to be here and so grateful to be in recovery. It's, it's such a different world, people that are out there suffering still. And uh, I forgot what it was like because I lost my recovery uh, several times. And I'm just now really tasting it again after several months. It takes few months to really get grounded within that peaceful place again. Life's not easy, but um, there's just this grounding that happens. And I'm grateful to be here. Thank you. And I pass. Grateful for you. Thanks, Christina J. from North Carolina. Anita J., you're up next, followed by Karen K. <laughs> 
Thank you, Jen. Thank you so much for your continued service. I'm Anita J. I'm recovered in Massachusetts. Uh, dog rolls. I actually like this dog roll. I always did. It caught my attention for, for a long time since I first read this book, but I didn't apply it. I just didn't apply it to myself. And then now I can see lots of ominous warnings I received, but I never connected the dots. They were, you know, the waiter on my honeymoon who leaned over and whispered in my ear, Madame will get fat if she continues to eat like that. And I, I thought, who the heck is he? I know the guy now, but he was trying, I've never forgotten it, but did I heed his warning? No. I didn't heed the warning after the rehearsal dinner. We went out to a restaurant in um, New York City, and I ate, uh, it, it was, I've never had seen such a uh, all-you-can-eat type restaurant in my life. And the, the point is, how did I handle that? I just never went to that restaurant. It was the restaurant's fault. It was this nervy waiter intruding into my life. It had nothing to do with me. And I know it's because I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I couldn't picture a life without my version of pot. I, it's, um, it had been my friend for so long. And, uh, and I know that I thought finding Mr. Wright uh, was going to take all that away. But guess what? It didn't. It's not an outside job, is it? It was an inside job. The answer was always deep within me, but uh, buried by ice cream and, you know, all kinds of other sugary things buried in there. But there it is again, and I am so grateful. I'm so, so grateful, and I'm grateful for this big book, which means more to me now than when I first opened it years ago, and I hope I continue to feel that way, and I pass. Thank you, Anita J. Up next is Karen K. followed by Larry K. Hey, Karen. Good morning, everybody. My name is Karen K. Um, but it's going to transfer from Syracuse, New York, and definitely a compulsive reader of the chronic kind. I, um, when I first uh, went through the big book on a workshop, it was brought to my attention what this little paragraph means. And by musket was actually like drinking a beer, and then by pot was actually standing up for the effect of the alcohol. So when I look at that with my food, you know, um, eating while standing, um, you know, drinking a whole, whole half gallon of chocolate milk. Uh, sitting or standing, um, the things that, um, you know, the ominous warnings that I have seen in my life before I came into OA, and something really cool happened y yesterday. I wasn't really quite myself, whatever that is, and um, I said, God, God, I need your help. Help me. And then my um, my was traveler thing, and it gave it a, a notice as railroad, ahead, railroad tracks ahead. So to me, I look at that with a sign from God 
you want to go towards your disease, disease cure, or you want to go right. And as you guys probably already know, later on in the big book, he's going to know this was an ominous warning he failed to look at. And, um, you know, I think Bill was a very spiritual guy. And just um, like all of us here, I believe that, you know, we, we kind of hear things, but do I want to heed it? So, um, yeah, that's when I first really got what that musket by Pot meant. So you guys have a wonderful day, and um, I'm out. Thank you. You too, Karen. Have a good day. Up next, we have Larry K. followed by Reggie L. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Jen. Thanks for your service. Uh, I'm Larry K. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Chicago. You know, uh, Bill came across this uh, this dog roll on the tombstone. Let's keep in mind that, that he failed to heed this as well. He couldn't. He had an addiction like we have, um, and he continued to uh, – um, he, he had the inability to – to, to heed this warning until he had a spiritual awakening. You know, the, the, we, everyone on this line, we're going to face, so think about all the warnings that we face today. I don't care if you're in San Paulo, Chicago, Scottsdale, Colorado, doesn't matter. You're going to run across uh, things like traffic signs, weather forecast. Hey, how about the good old wet floor sign, you know? We're going to heed all of those warnings to, to, say, to stay safe and, uh, and avoid accidents and, and make informed decisions. And the thing about it is, is most of us are going to heed those warnings. We, we don't even have to think about it. You know, I have, I, I don't know about you, I don't read my, uh, you know, my work um, uh, manual, you know, that you get when you work for an organization from cover to cover. I don't know too many people that do. But I know that I have PT, paid time days off. And I know that, you know, that there's a warning, doesn't say warning, 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 you know, that if I go over that, uh, I'm not going to get paid. You know, I'm able to heed these warnings, but somehow what we're recognizing and the purpose of this paragraph really is to accentuate the idea that we, with this addiction, an alcoholic, a compulsive reader, we can, we can heed other warnings, but not this one. And as uh, Janet alluded to, and I, I agree that that unless I have a spiritual awakening and surrender, what, once I do that, and we have a process by which we do that, boy, can I heed these warnings. There are countless people on this line that are heeding the warnings of what picking up the first bite will do. And they can do it, and they can do so happily, peacefully. But prior to that, we cannot do that. And so this is an admonition for me, available to anybody, that if I see this, this practical program of spiritual action through and I take these steps, I will be imbued with the ability to heed these warnings to something that otherwise would kill us over time because it's progressive. And what gratitude I have for this. Not just the wet floor sign. I could do it with, with my alcoholic foods. With that, I pass. Thanks, Jen. Thank you, Larry K. from Chicago. Up next, we have Reggie O. Good morning, Reggie. Hi, good morning, Jen. Good morning, everybody. This is Reggie O., gratefully recovered outside San Antonio, Texas today. And, uh, you know, this was a tough one for me to think about, like how I would share on it. So I'm just going to start and trust that it will come out. Um, the, the, the warning. Uh, the warning. And I, you know, I feel like 
I don't know if I've gotten many warnings in my life or if I, I did have some, and I'll relate uh, to those. But when I'm in recovery, when I'm recovered, I get a lot of messages. And I get a lot of messages looking out my window, show up on my computer. And I think it's all just, you know, the way the, the you know, the spiritual life works. There are messages everywhere. Uh, however, going back to this, um, this grant, this, uh, ominous warning was also the grenadier, the Hampshire grenadier who this was about. His name was Bill Fetcher, I understood. And the man who brought uh, Bill, Bill W. here was Ebby Thatcher. And and when Ebby went to visit Bill the first day to sort of bring him around, uh, he said Bill looked at him and he, he looked at his eyes and knew he was different. And 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 he asked him, he said, what's going on or something like that? And Ebby said, I've got religion. And Bill, like, oh, yeah, I think Bill probably almost fell out of his chair, but he kept going. But um, uh, uh, my warnings were, uh, I remember the two things that I knew was warning. I grew up in a, deep, a home that came from the Deep South, farming family, grand, great grandparents lived through the Depression. Having a big, huge table spilling over with food was absolutely normal. And uh, and I got that. And my mom was a compulsive overfeeder. First it was my dad, then it was me. And I thought I learned that I could love her by eating her food. Um, so, but the uh, I was overweight in my life. I didn't know it. I was kind of oblivious at times to my, do you know, to my size. But... Um, I remember when I, a long time, you know, going up until, oh my gosh, I was probably in my late 20s or something, and I was a, I was an athlete, and I just had played a basketball game, which was wonderful, and we won celebration after, and uh, I, uh, and there was all this food, and I just went over, and we all picked, you know, got our plates and ate from this buffet, and one of my friends on the team said, Reggie, I cannot believe how much you eat. And it was the first time, that was a warning, and that was something that came to me. I'd never noticed how much I ate. And I was so embarrassed, I remember. I felt so embarrassed. And a few years later, I was living alone and got a, a housemate. We were very close. I had a dear friend come over, and uh, my housemate and my friend were talking, and my housemate said to my friend, she said, yeah, Reggie's eating me out of house and home. And I had no idea. I remember I was just totally embarrassed. And uh, and the last warning I got was years later when I was uh, looking at how alcoholism had had impacted me and my family and my life. And then I thought to myself, I'm an alcoholic with food. And OA showed up two weeks later, and I didn't even know it existed. And I think that was my time, so I'll pass with that. Perfect. Thanks so much. Reggie O calling from Texas. All right, well, this concludes our meeting for today. So thank you to everyone who shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing. Grab a pen and paper. Here's the share ID for today, Tuesday, February 6, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's 21,103. That's 21103. We're now going to close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Crystal R. please read A Vision for You? Good morning. This is Crystal R., recovered compulsive overeater from Toronto, Canada. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. 
God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. We'll just wait for the recording to be stopped. Mm-hmm.